verse 1. We're still on Roman numeral 6 in our outline of this book. It's a theology of suffering. And by that I mean that this section of 1 Peter teaches us about how we're to understand suffering. Thus far, in our theology of suffering, we have talked about four lessons or or four things as a part of it. First, we've seen that a theology of suffering begins with understanding the suffering of Christ because our suffering is connected to His suffering. And then second, we've talked about how a theology of suffering is necessary for those who live for the Lord. Because living for the Lord involves suffering. And it even invites suffering. Third, we have talked about how a theology of suffering enables us to rejoice in our suffering. And that's because this understanding of suffering, this biblical understanding of suffering, teaches us the purposes of suffering. And then last Sunday morning, we began the fourth of these lessons, or the fourth of these things, and it is that a theology of suffering is the responsibility of pastors or elders Presbyters or overseers. It's the responsibility of those who lead the church. And when I say it's the responsibility of pastors, I mean that pastors are responsible for teaching their flock a theology of suffering from the Word of God. And pastors are also responsible for modeling an understanding of Suffering, even as they suffer before their sheep. In this passage, Peter exhorts his fellow pastors. And he gives one exhortation to them. And then there's another exhortation about them. The first of these two exhortations, the exhortation that Peter gives to pastors is this. He exhorts pastors to shepherd the sheep or pastor the flock. And the terms that are used interchangeably for the office that we call pastor here and elsewhere in the New Testament, I alluded to them earlier, pastor, elder, overseer, bishop, presbyter, shepherd, whatever you want to call it, All of these terms indicate to us that this office within the church is one of leadership, that it's one of authority, but it's also one of responsibility, of accountability to God because the flock is His flock. That's how it's referred to in this passage. Christ Himself is referred to in this passage as the chief shepherd. 
And so it's a position of responsibility to help us understand both as shepherds in this church and sheep in this church, to help us understand the responsibility that pastors have, we looked at some very well-known shepherding passages in the Bible. The first of those you might remember last week was the 23rd Psalm. And then we looked at John chapter 10 where Jesus refers to him himself as the good shepherd. And he talks about what makes him a good shepherd and therefore what good shepherds under him are going to do. And then we looked at a passage that has a close connection to the one that we're studying in 1 Peter. And that passage was in John chapter 21 verses 15 through 17 where Jesus went to Peter, the author of this letter that we're now studying, after Peter had denied Jesus. After his resurrection, Jesus sought Peter out. And you might remember that he asked him three times if he, Peter, loved him, Jesus. And Peter's response was, I love you. You know I love you. It grieved him at the end that he asked him three times. And each of those times when Peter responded in the affirmative that he loved Jesus, Jesus told him then what he had to do if he loved him, because he loved him. And every time it had something to do with the sheep. Shepherd the sheep, Peter. Feed the sheep, Peter. Feed my sheep, Peter. Tend my sheep, Peter. And so from those passages, we saw that pastors are responsible to lead the sheep. That's what this exhortation, shepherd the sheep, means. Lead the sheep. Feed the sheep. Care for the sheep. Protect the sheep. All of these things and even more things that we saw are involved in fulfilling this exhortation to pastors to shepherd the sheep. And as we wrapped it up last Sunday morning, I told you that those things all have to do with what shepherds are to do. What pastors are to do. Today, we are going to get to how pastors are to do it. So we're moving on from what shepherds are to do and what good shepherds will do to how pastors are to shepherd. And remember, before we get into that, I I told you at the very end last Sunday morning that a passage like this and a sermon like this or messages like this are not simply for pastors. Of course, this passage has great application to myself and to Glenn and to Thomas and to the deacons of our church who in many ways serve as elders or shepherds or pastors of the flock. And certainly, it has to do with us, maybe even primarily, but that doesn't mean that passages and messages like this aren't for the sheep too. 
Remember, I've already told you that not only will Peter here give an exhortation to the pastors, but he will also give an exhortation about pastors that involves the sheep. But beyond that, even what he says to pastors here is for the entire congregation. Because within every congregation, at the very least we pray that there are future pastors. That God is preparing even as they hear this. And then every congregation has an obligation to evaluate pastors biblically. To identify pastors, shepherds among the flock. To choose from time to time those that will pastor the flock. And then even beyond that, a passage like this is good for every Christian. Because while most of you are not technically pastors in the biblical sense of the word, or professionally pastors, all of you do some shepherding in your life. All of you have some people in your life that are within your sphere of responsibility. You're accountable for them. You lead them, you feed them, you care for them, you protect them. And so the things that this passage says about pastors are are applicable to you as you do that. And they're also applicable to you as you just simply serve the Lord. You find things that you're to do if you serve the Lord. And then today, you're going to hear things that speak not only to how pastors should do what they do, but also have great application for how you should do whatever it is you do in your service of the Lord. So let's look at our passage once again. Begin in verse 1 of 1 Peter chapter 5. Peter writes here, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. I've already told you that Our focus from this passage this morning is how pastors are to shepherd. Last week was what shepherds are to do, what good shepherds will do. This week is how shepherds are to shepherd the sheep. And we find in in this passage... Four ways that shepherds are to fulfill this exhortation to shepherd the sheep. Four ways that pastors should 
shepherd the flock. The first way is willingly. Willingly. And that is the exact word that's used in the translation of the Bible that I'm using there in verse 2. Shepherd the flock willingly. I've said that there are four ways that we're going to see in this passage. For the first three of them, not only will Peter, inspired by the Spirit, speak of the way that pastors are to shepherd, but he will also offer up a contrasting way that they're not to shepherd. And so if the way that shepherds are to do it here is willingly, the contrast to that is found in the phrase there in verse 2, not under compulsion. You see the difference? Do it willingly, not under compulsion. When it comes to these first three ways that pastors are to shepherd the flock, And then the three things that are a contrast to those ways, the three ways they're not to, what I think that God is doing here is revealing specific temptations that face pastors. And maybe you could apply it to to any position of leadership, but especially pastors. And so, as he writes here that pastors are to shepherd the flock willingly, not under compulsion, I think the temptation that he's pointing out is the temptation that pastors have to do what they do out of a sense of obligation and out of a sense of duty. And about this point, maybe you're thinking, well, whoa, How can you speak of good things like obligation and duty as being a temptation? And I'd be the first to agree with you uh, a whole lot of the way on that, to a certain extent of that. Obligation is not a bad thing. Doing things because you're responsible to do it is not a bad thing. I think a lesson that all of us need to learn early in life and all of us need to keep learning is that there are things that we ought to do even when we don't feel like doing them. Even when we don't want to do them. That's what being an adult is about, right? Doing things that have to be done even when you don't feel like it even when you don't want to. So this is not a knock on all obligation and all duty. But what he is saying here is that if the only reason that pastors do what they want do what they do is because they have to, then they're falling far short of the mark. How many of you like C.S. Lewis? If you don't, pick you up some C.S. Lewis stuff. I mean, really, I, sometimes I advertise things. Nobody will ever come back to me and say, I can't believe you told me to read C.S. Lewis. Even for those of you that don't like to read, could I point you towards C.S. Lewis 
he might make you one who likes to read. That's how well he writes. Just a, a wonderful Christian mind. Lewis wrote, A perfect man would never act from a sense of duty. He'd always want the right thing more than the wrong one. Duty is only a substitute for love. Like a crutch is a substitute for a leg. You falling in love with Lewis already? Most of us need the crutch at times, but of course, it is idiotic to use the crutch when our own legs, that is, our own loves, our own taste, our own habits, can do the journey on their own. Do you get what Lewis is getting at there? In an ideal world, we would never do something out of a mere sense of obligation or duty. If we were perfect men and women, we would do things because it's right and we want to do what is right. And that applies here to pastors. In a perfect world, pastors would always do everything that they're supposed to do because they want to do it. But we don't live in a perfect world, do we? We don't live in an ideal world. None of us are perfect men and perfect women. And so that's why I said earlier that we ought to do the things that we ought to do even when we don't feel like doing them or want to do them because it's the right thing to do. And I'll quote another man who means almost or means more to me actually than Lewis does. I don't know that he's quite the writer. Maybe you've heard of him before. His name is David Lazenby. I love him way more than I love Lewis. I've heard David say numerous times that what starts as a discipline will end up as a devotion in your life. And he's right on. That if you will start to do the right things because you should do them, that over time you will grow to love those things. And you won't simply do them anymore because you have to, but you'll be doing them because you want to. And specifically to pastors here, the point is that we are not to shepherd merely because we have to. That we're not to do it because our family says we should, or maybe our dad says we should. I really appreciate my dad that he never said a word to me. Probably had an inclination that that's where things were headed in my life long before I did. But he never said a word to me about it. And even act shocked when I went and told him that I thought that's what the Lord wanted me to be. We don't do it because our friends tell us to, our church says that we should. And at the end of the day, if we're striving to be what God wants us to be, we're not even simply doing it because God says we ought to do it. But we're doing it 
because we want to. We shepherd not because we have to, but because we want to. You see, in the passage there in verse 2, it says that God wants us to want to. After it says do it willingly, it says as God would have you do. That means God wants you to do it willingly, wants us to do it willingly. That's what you should expect of us. That we would do it because we want to. And I'm reminded of First Peter chapter, I'm sorry, First Timothy chapter 3 verse 1 where we find qualifications for pastors there. And he begins that passage on the qualifications for pastors by saying, if anyone aspires to the office of the pastor, he desires a noble thing. And maybe that helps us with the want to. That what we do is a noble thing when we do the right thing and we do it in the right way. That God wants us to want to. So the first way that pastors are to shepherd the sheep is willingly. Now I'm guessing that if you're still with me and you're not a shepherd, you're already picking up on or maybe have already thought about how this applies to you. You see, when this passage says that pastors are to shepherd the sheep willingly, that's very applicable to every other person in every sphere of Christian service. When you serve God, do you think God wants you to do it because you have to or because you want to, Christian? Not Christian pastor, but just Christian. Don't you think God wants you to do it? And wants you to do it because you want to do it? How about giving, which we've already done today and talked about some today? Does the Bible say anything about how God wants us to give? Does the Bible say, give because you have to, because God loves people who give out of a sense of obligation? Is that what the Bible says? Well, the Bible says... Give because you want to. God loves a, what kind of giver? Not an obligated giver. What kind of giver? A cheerful giver. One who wants to give. And we could take it beyond that. Beyond service. Beyond giving. Whatever it is, Christian, that the Lord wants us to do, we might have to start with it being because we should do it. But a part of growing in faith is our desires changing and becoming God's desires, right? Our passion becomes Him, His glory. There is no greater joy than in doing what God would have us to do. And so the first way that God wants all of us, beginning with pastors, to do what we do is willingly. Second way, pastors are to shepherd the sheep. Freely. Freely. Now, I don't think you will see that word in your translation. In my translation of the Bible, it uses the word eagerly. 
in verse 2, but I'll tell you why I've chosen the word freely. It's because I think that it brings out the contrast better than the word eagerly. They're, they're synonyms. I, I'm not doing a disservice to the translation of God's Word at this point. It could be translated freely. They've just chosen eagerly. But freely helps us to see the contrasting way better. So rather than freely, what does verse 2 tell us about how pastors aren't to do it? Verse 2 says, not for shameful gain. You see why I chose the word freely? That goes better with not for shameful gain than the English word eagerly. Freely. Not for shameful gain. That is, not out of greed. And it brings up another temptation specific to pastors. The temptation being... Money. Y'all know why I became a pastor in the first place? Money. <laughs> you should have laughed big time on that. But you know what? Throughout the Bible, we are told that it was a motivation for the bad shepherds of the Old Testament. In the New Testament, we are told that it is the motivation for the false prophets that are mentioned over and over again. As you observe the landscape of Christianity today, are there any Christian leaders that perhaps give off the impression that for them it's about one thing primarily? Money? Are there Christian television stations where all they ever talk about or all they're ever getting to is money? It's a stain on every Christian, but in particular it's a stain on, on every pastor because there, there are so many who characterize themselves under that label for whom this is all that it's about. It's about money. It's about greed. It's about an easy way to get rich. There are Christian suckers all out there, one born every day, to quote Barnum, and they've identified a market from which they can benefit economically. That's why the absence of greed is included as a qualification for pastors in all of the list of qualifications for pastors in the New Testament. And talking about how this applies to beyond just pastors today, I want you to take this and use it as you're evaluating preachers that you listen to and preachers that you're reading and preachers that you might even be supporting. What is it all about for them? 
The most well-known pastor in America today has never written a book where his big mug hasn't been on the front cover of every one of them. Every one of his best-selling books have his beautiful face on the front of it. And I contrast that with another well-known pastor who's a hero to me. To my knowledge, the only book on which John MacArthur's face has ever appeared is his biography, and it wasn't written by him. Very revealing. There's got to be, at the very least, a a subliminal message there. That it's not about God, it's not about the gospel, it's not about people, but it's about me. That's why my face is on the front of the book. It's about me. Now, if I ever do write a book, even if I wanted to put my face on it, they wouldn't let me do that. It wouldn't sell books. Maybe some of you could lend me a face or something like that. I thought a lot about what this verse is saying about not doing it for shameful gain, and therefore, obviously, God is addressing what will be a temptation for for many pastors, and that is doing it for money. And, And the thought occurred to me, because I grew up in this world, the thought occurred to me that that would sound awful strange to many, many, many poor, underpaid preachers. And at least in in the Southern Baptist world, that'd probably identify most of our pastors. They're, They're pastoring in obscurity, complete obscurity. Small congregations that are getting smaller by the day. Barely scraping by the church might be, and, and therefore the pastor is too. And, and I noted here in my notes to be careful to emphasize this. When I talk about poor underpaid preachers, I'm not talking about me. I want to tell you what, even when I, my first church was one of those small, more obscure country churches, they paid me great. I bragged about how well they paid me. Now, it turns out it probably wasn't so great in hindsight, but when you go from making zero to making anything, you think you're rich. I quit working at the bank and told the CEO of the bank about how much money I would be making pastoring this church. And years later, when I think about that, I laugh to myself thinking, what a dumbo he must have thought I was. (laughs) That dude's going to starve to death. He just got married. Every church has been so generous to me, so good to me. When I was in Selma, a buddy about my age who pastored at First Baptist Selma, he said, man, did you ever think you'd make this much money? I said, no, it's all gravy. So I'm not talking about me. I'm thankful. You're so generous, and I'm so thankful. But there are a lot of poor underpaid preachers. And I can't help but think that there are going to be a lot of Christians and a lot of churches that answer for that one day. And they must be thinking, if they were to hear me say, hey, don't do it for shameful gain, they must be thinking that 
gain. I haven't gained anything. In the case of many of them, they have lost financially. My, my dad wasn't like me. My, he was almost 30 before he surrendered to preach, and so he left the secular world in the late 1970s. He would kill me if he knew I was telling you this. He has never made what he was making in 1970 when he quit his job. And we're in 2018. Now, that's not a knock at his church either, who's generous and does the best they can. i got to say that because Cheryl's folks are in that church too, so I can't be talking about them. They're really generous. They gave me a wife. How about that, that church? I, I would say perhaps you know them and you can help communicate it to me, and I never know who's listening I would say to those pastors who might have lost financially to be a pastor, be a minister, whatever title you want to put on it, I would say, brothers, you haven't lost anything that you won't regain multiplied times in eternity. Didn't Jesus have a conversation with his disciples just about that where Peter said, what about us who have left everything? And Jesus said, I'm going to take care of it one day. I'm going to take care of it one day. But you know, I also thought about how this instruction not to do it for shameful gain isn't simply about rich preachers. Did you know that even poor underpaid preachers can preach for money? has nothing to do with how much they make. And so for all of us, no matter what we get paid to do what we do, the point here is that we're not to do it for that. Now, I must throw in at this point that I use the word freely, not for free. The New Testament is clear in numerous places. The, the workman is worthy of his wages. That those who work hard at preaching are worthy of double honor. It says, don't muzzle the ox. In this case, the ox is the preacher or the pastor. The point, though, again, is that we are to... Shepherd because we like to shepherd, not because we like money. We're to do it for the love of the game. And I sure hope that in some little way that that comes across. Especially when it comes to what I'm doing right now. I hope, I hope none of you have the impression that I do this for money. I do this for free. Yeah, that's why I preach so long every week. I want to give you free stuff every week. I want you to get your money's worth. I, listen, I want you to hear, I'm, I'm working on my behalf. I'm politicking right now. Per minute preached, you get a good deal with me. If you look at it that way. I'm not charging, if you, if you added it per hour, You're getting a really good deal. A bargain. Some of you are like, hey, overcharge us. Overcharge us. Please. I appreciate Glenn and Thomas. They do what they do because they love to do it, not because they love money. Second way we're to do it is freely. Third way. 
admirably. That is, pastors are to shepherd the sheep in a manner that's worthy of admiration and imitation and emulation. Verse 3 says, being examples to the flock. That is, we're to do it in an exemplary way, especially in suffering. We're to be examples. And the contrast to that is, it says, not domineering over. And this would bring up a third temptation specific to pastors. Do you remember the first two? Doing it out of duty, doing it for money. And then this third one that's implied here is doing it for power. Doing it for power. And there are those who do it for that. And uh, all of us can probably be tempted to think that way sometimes. Why doesn't everybody do what I want to do and see it my way? And because I am the boss or, you know, that's what my kids tell. They really think I'm the boss here. They know so very little. (laughs) Hey, you can do whatever you want to. You're the pastor. It's not about power. Jesus said that's what Gentiles or lost people are all about. He said that's the way the world does things. It's why they want authority. It's why they want leadership so they can lord it over others, he said. Leadership for folks like this is about being served rather than serving. Ezekiel 34 spoke of those bad shepherds that Israel had. It said they treated the people harshly and brutally. Pastors are not to be dictators. They're not despots. There are many who are or many who seek to be. I have noticed this about them. That they spend very little time preaching the Word of God, but an awful lot of time preaching their Word. And what that creates is mindless followers. That's why they drink the Kool-Aid. Literally, in some cases. 1 Timothy 4, Paul wrote to a young pastor. And that's always been one of my favorite passages and favorite books because I always considered myself the young pastor. But you know, this past Sunday night, one of our college students referred to an older middle-aged couple. And her next words were, about your age, Brother Micah. (laughs) She will be brought before the church for church discipline purposes. In the near future. So I guess I'm going to have to find another favorite pastor, Thomas, a uh, favorite passage. Thomas, I can pass this on to you. You're the young pastor now. But in this passage, Paul wrote to a young pastor by the name of Timothy, and he said to Timothy, I don't want anyone to look down on you because of your youth. Don't let them expect anything less of you because of your age or anything else as the case might be. But because you're a pastor, I want you to be an example to the congregation in your speech, in your conduct, in your love, in your faith, in your purity. I spoke on the subject of Christian leadership this week in some in the schools at Marengo County, and I told the the young people there that to be a Christian leader, you must be an example. That Christian leadership is not a matter of do what I say, but really it's a matter of do what I do. 
You've heard like I have that values aren't taught, values are caught. And like Paul, pastors should be able to say to their sheep, follow me as I follow Christ. And that's not always the case with me and I acknowledge that and I confess it and I, I turn from it and, and continue to do so. We're to be exemplary to those in our charge is what he says here. Meaning that the congregation is a gift to its pastors, just as its pastors are a gift to the congregation. It's a stewardship for which we're accountable, we'll be accountable, accountable for whether we shepherd admirably or not. And that brings us to a fourth way that pastors are to shepherd the sheep, it's expectantly expectantly, and I take that from verse 4, which says, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So when I say that pastors are to shepherd the sheep expectantly, I mean expectantly when it comes to the return of Christ. We're living in expectation that that's going to happen, that the chief shepherd could come at any time, and because he's the chief shepherd when he comes, he's going to evaluate all the shepherds under him. And when I say expectantly, I also mean expectantly when it comes to reward from Christ. That we are to do what we do, at least in part, because we know that it's not for nothing. That there is great reward promised, even specifically to pastors here, faithful pastors, the unfading crown of glory. Notice the word unfading. It would be in contrast to the crowns that winners of Olympic-type games won. They gave them wreaths of flowers, a crown of flowers, and even if it were a crown of metal, they all fade, but the one that God gives will never fade away. Reward is a legitimate motivation for the people of God. That's why it's mentioned so much in the Bible. And it's not just a legitimate motivation for pastors, but for all believers. So here again is the exhortation to pastors. Shepherd the sheep willingly, freely, admirably, expectantly. Now very quickly as I wrap it up, listen to Peter's exhortation to the sheep. It's the second exhortation, not to pastors, but about pastors. The exhortation is this, pastors are to be followed by the sheep. Pastors are to shepherd the sheep, and then sheep, you are to follow your shepherds. And every time I say something like that, I feel like some people are thinking, well, there must be a problem in the church of people following the shepherds. Listen, I don't have any complaints on that. I don't know of any Glenn has. don't know of any that Thomas has. I mean, we're, we love you. We're happy with you. So when I preach this passage, it's not like I've searched it out because I have a bone to pick with somebody in the church. Remember, I just preach straight through books. It's just the next thing on the agenda. You are to follow your shepherds as your shepherds follow the good shepherd, the chief shepherd. And you're only to follow us as we do that. You're to follow us as we lead you with the Word of God and we feed you with the Word of God. 
And when that's going on, verse 5 again says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Now, I would tell you that younger there isn't a reference to physical age, but is in contrast to what word that's already been used in the, in the passage. Elders. Those who lead the church in the office of pastor are the elders, and those who are not the pastors in the church then, in contrast to that, are the youngers. Some of you, that blesses your heart this morning to be called younger, doesn't it? He's talking about the sheep as opposed to the shepherds. He says you're to be subject to the shepherds. Have we seen that phrase already in First Peter? Numerous times, right? Citizens, be subject to your rulers. Workers, be subject to your bosses. Wives, be subject to your husbands. And as we said about those things, this isn't blind following, blind obedience, blind loyalty, but it does involve following and obedience and loyalty. Hebrews chapter 13, 17 puts it this way. Obey your leaders, it's talking about pastors, and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. And I want to tell you that pastoring you is a great joy that is accompanied with very, very little groaning. The occasional groaning, but very, very little groaning and much great, great joy. I know I can speak for these other men. They love you. They want to lead you, not to themselves, but to Christ. So trust God and follow them. The second exhortation here is pastors are to be followed by the sheep. And they are, as we teach you this theology of suffering. This theology of suffering is the responsibility of pastors and one that in preaching this, I'm trying to fulfill. As we've talked now for two weeks about sheep and shepherds, I want to ask you again, are you a sheep? Are you in the flock of God? Do you belong to Christ? Because one day, Jesus will separate the sheep from the goats. Not everyone is a sheep. And his sheep will be delivered from suffering forever. But those goats will only then begin to really suffer. And they will suffer unbearable suffering for time without end. Before that happens to you, you hear the voice of the Good Shepherd and follow him. He has suffered so that you won't have to for all eternity. If you will turn from your sins and trust on Jesus as Lord and Savior, He will forgive you for all your sins and grant you eternal life by virtue of His perfect life and His sacrificial death and His victorious resurrection if you will repent and believe. If you want to talk to me about that or something else, find me. I'd love to talk with you. If you've already decided to follow Jesus in faith, but you haven't professed that publicly, let us know about that so that you can be baptized and give your testimony to the church. For all of you sheep, keep following, especially in the suffering.
keep following. Would you stand with me and bow your heads and close your eyes? Once again, Father, every Sunday I feel this way. It's so good to worship with these sheep. So good to share with them from your word. Thank you for these words about who we are, what we're to be, what we're to do, how we're to do it, how we're to relate to one another. Help us. Help us to see where we don't repent. Trust on Christ for forgiveness. Trust on you for grace to do it better. Help us to strive after that in the power that you supply. And I do pray for that one that isn't a sheep or those ones that are still goats, that before it's too late, that they would see that Jesus is the door to the sheep pen and there's no other way to get in but through him. Bring them to Christ through your spirit, we pray in his name. Amen. to be with you today. Let me remind you of several things going on. Deacons, we have our deacons meeting right now or just in a few moments. Also, down in the fellowship hall, the group that's going to Haiti in June for a missions trip is doing a lunch, a Haitian lunch. You can uh, be fed and help with that mission trip at the same time. I think $5 per person, $20 maximum per family. We can fellowship. We can help in the missions expenses. We can